Colossians 3 and verse 21 is where we're turning today. It's kind of like reading somebody else's mail. Each of these, these verses here in Colossians 3, as we've looked at and what we'll look at again in the next few weeks, uh, they're written to specific people, and we need to be careful lest we focus more on what God says to the other people rather than what God says to us. For example, we've looked at verse 18, husbands, or excuse me, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, Colossians 3.18. Well, that's the word for wives. Husbands should know that that verse is in there, but not harp on it, not be uh, banking their whole uh, livelihood or their whole relationship to their wives in this regard. You need to be subject to me. You need to submit to me. It's fitting the Lord this way. Well, no, it's, it's not how we should use that. Husbands, listen to this verse. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. That is the requirement for uh, the men to lead and care for their wives in this regard. Wives, be subject Husbands, love your wives. The word we looked at a few weeks ago now, Colossians 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. And so parents could say, okay, kids, you've got to obey. You've got to, got to honor me, right? Ephesians, or, yeah, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 talks about that, quotes the, the Ten Commandments. After all, I mean, good grief. If anything ought to be applying to, to kids, it's the Ten Commandments. And so honor your father and mother and so forth. Well, that's written to children. Children should obey their parents. Children should be in a submissive uh, uh, state of mind and behavior to their parents. Here we see this verse, verse 21, is the word to fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, children so that they will not lose heart. So that they will not lose heart. Each of these, we could call these checks and balances. We have checks and balances in our political system. We have the three uh, um, bodies of, of, our, of our government. We have the executive, judicial, and, and legislative branches. And we, each of those branches is supposed to be a check and balance against the others. Here, the check and balance is not so much, hey, you've got to do this and that. The check and balance is on us individually. Whether you're a wife, the check is on you. The, 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 the requirement is on you. Whether you're a husband, that's, that's your requirement there. It's not so much, I'll submit to him only insofar as he's loving me. It's not a, uh, or I'll, I'll love her as long as she's submiss- submitting to me. It's not that kind of a thing. These are unconditional commands to us. Even if, she, even if that husband is an unbeliever, First Peter 3 would say, you be subject to him. You submit to him. You honor the Lord. Even though he's disobedient to the word, what can you do to show forth your godliness, your piety, your trust in the Lord? Even if your wife isn't respecting you, you show love to her. Don't be embittered against her. Don't think she's always against me. She's a con- she's one of those contentious, nagging wives. I read about those in Proverbs. I, n- I knew my mother ought to warn me about this. No, you love your wife. You lay down your life for her. You see ways, you look for ways that you can serve and meet needs for her. You look for ways that you can bless her and encourage her. What about children? Children, obey your parents in all things. Well, but they said... Obey your parents in all things. Trust them. Maybe they're not believers. What can you do to honor them? What if What if even they're older? You're older, and they're older, and you're all older, and everybody's older. Should we still obey and honor? In, in most ways, yes. Obey and honor. I know there are exceptions. I know they're dysfunctional people. I know there are issues all over the place. But generally, if your parents say, we're going to do this, we want to do this, you let them do it. You you honor their their intent, their requests, and so forth. Now, if it's evil and, and wicked and hurtful, harmful to themselves or to others, we can give warning, but we don't have authority over them. 
we can't make them change. We can't make anybody change. We can barely change ourselves. In fact, we can change ourselves. We need the Lord. I need the Lord. You need the Lord every time. We want to be agents of God's mercy, agents of God's redemption, agents of God's sanctification in our lives. And a lot of it comes back to, hey, wives, you be subject. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, this is our word for today, for verse 21. Fathers, and notice how he, he's just negative here. Do not exasperate your children like we would. What do you think? We're, we're a bunch of pigs or, or, or swine that we would certainly exasperate our children. Well, there's a reason why he puts that command in there, and it's a reason why he says fathers. Now, he had a, there's a perfectly good word, and he used it back in verse 20, that says parents. Parents. He used that word here in verse 20, but in, in verse 21, he says fathers. Now, certainly, that word fathers can refer to both parents. In fact, many people would point to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 23, that talks about Moses when he was born. He, he was hidden for three months by his parents. And that's the word fathers. It's a plural idea of fathers. And, and, and if you read the account back in Exodus, chapter 2, his father is mentioned, not even by name. His father married a Levite, and they had a son, Moses, and she, the mother, noticed he was a beautiful child. And she, the mother, took him and hid him for three months. And she, the mother, took him and put him in a little uh, wicker basket and placed him in the Nile. The mother did all that stuff. But it's the fathers who are given credit. Isn't that how it usually goes? Uh, The the point is, yes, it can be parents in general. This, This word can be parents. Do not exasperate your children. But I think Paul specifically focuses on fathers because we would tend toward exasperating our children. And we'll look at a lot of different ways that we can do that. Nine uh, kind of categories of ways that we exasperate our children. But one of the main features that Paul is speaking of here in this context, of course, in Colossians 3 and into chapter 4, is how does the gospel affect your daily life? What does it look like to be a Christian? In the most intimate relationships we have, husband, wife, if you're married, and if not, the the idea is, what can I do to prepare for this situation? What can I do to be a a submissive woman? Not to all people, but being subject to the Lord, trusting in Him, waiting upon Him, trusting Him, uh, drawing near to Him, uh, serving the Lord, being His, His hands and His feet. How can husbands, how can men, young men prepare to be husbands? Well, practice loving, practice serving, practice thinking of other people as more important than yourself. Practice uh, not being embittered against other people. Don't think about all those times that people have wronged you and, and they, they violated me and they've done, they've done me wrong kind of thing. No, we, we overlook offenses. We, we just always gracious, kind. And if we do need to rebuke somebody, we do it not because we want revenge or we want to be justified. We do it because we're concerned about their situation, their spiritual health, or their relationships with other people because what they're doing is is hurtful to others. It is blasphemous to God. It's, It's hurtful to the church at large. And so we rebuke other people, not for ourselves, but for them. Children, what can children do? Obey your parents. Be obedient to them. Be obedient to your other authorities. You know, it's interesting how uh, young young children who are disobedient, disrespectful to their parents, well, that kind of disrespect and dis- disobedience kind of spills over in other areas of life, whether you're in public school, teachers and principals and whatever, or in uh the speed limit laws. I mean, that's one of the ways that young people like to push the push the limits of, of what is what is appropriate and what is lawful and what is safe. And, and of course, different people say, I'm safe driving at 90 miles an hour. There's nobody on the road, et cetera. Okay, fine. But let's try, let's practice obeying. And now, 
There has to be a caveat, of course. Everything has a little exception, and yet it doesn't always. When there is unlawful order, when the authority is giving, giving a command that is not good, it's not helpful, it's not honoring to the Lord, it's not good for the people, we have a responsibility even to protest that. I think even in that context of, of his Exodus chapter 2, the Pharaoh said, kill all the male babies born to the Hebrew uh, uh, women. The midwives didn't do it. Next is one. The mama, Yocheved, she hid Moses for three months and then, praise the Lord, somehow smuggled, I don't know how the, into the Pharaoh's own household and Moses grew up 40 years in the Pharaoh's household. Wow. I mean, that's, that, if that isn't subversive and, and disobedient to Pharaoh, what is? So yes, there's a point for civil disobedience. But here we see a word to fathers, those who maybe aren't fathers yet, but, but have the, the hope and the prospect of being someday warning, 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 do not exasperate your children, the children that God has given to you. As I mentioned, this is an issue of how does the gospel look? What does the gospel look like in a believer in that first century world? There was a practice that had been going on for probably uh, a few hundred years by this time. This is the first century AD, but it goes on for another 200 years, I think. And that is the the law of, uh, maybe you've heard this, the, the pater familias, the father of the family, father of the household. Uh, and there was also, the, that's Latin word, and then the word that has to do with the, the, the power or the authority of the father had, the patria potestas, potentate, you know that word. And it talks about the almost absolute authority that a father, the oldest male member of the household, had over all of his family. Now, there were different ways that the wife was still under her her father and a lot of different intrigues and, and, and situations. But the point is that the father had absolute authority over any child born into his house, any child born into his house, any client, uh, which is to say, you know, the, the patronage client system, a lot of artists were, were, were that way. You have a patron and that patron supports you, almost a member of the household. And, uh, and that continued for year, uh, centuries thereafter. I think of some of the great artists, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, were patrons or were clients of certain patrons who supported them. So patrons were part of the, of the household. Slaves were also part of the household. That's why we'll see in the next verses here, talking about slaves and masters, slaves and lords. Why we talk about them? Because that was part of the first century Roman household. Also freedmen, those who were slaves, but now they're free. If they're still part of the family, if they still exercise devotion to that household, they would be under the father's authority. He... The father, the pater familias, had the responsibility to maintain the family's honor, the family's property, the family's business dealings, the family's relationships, religious duties, uh, who was in the family and who was out of the family. You've heard the idea, perhaps. In fact, there was a, a little manuscript that was discovered years ago that was a correspondence between a father who was absent, he was somewhere else, and writing back to his wife and and I forget how, how the details went, but essentially if the child is, I don't remember, was, if the child is male, then do this, but if the child is female, then do that. I don't remember which, how he said it, but he said, of whatever the, the undesirable sex of the child was, expose it. Which is to say, what? Do what with that? Take the child, the infant, newly born child, and put it out with the trash, essentially. Just abandon it. I don't want that in my house. Yes, dear was only the only thing the wife could say because he had authority. Now, unfortunately, either the child eventually died or more likely the child was taken and then and brought up into slavery. But the father had that authority over those things. 
the, uh, the, the father had the authority to disown, to enslave, or to kill. And we see that, that Paul is writing especially in that context. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Yes, you have this authority. Yes, you have all that. I mean, it's legal authority. But you be careful how you use it. Because what you can do with your exercise of authority is to exasperate your children. We'll look at what that means in just a moment. Here he says, again, fathers do this. Not to say that mothers, oh, you can exasperate your kids. That's fine. No, he says, fathers, you especially don't exasperate your kids. Mothers, in the same way, you don't do it either. But fathers, you have a particularly particular tendency to do it, a particular weakness to respond to your children in a very heavy-handed, hard-hearted way. Here we see that fathers are the ones to take leadership. They are the ones that should have uh, a priority that... Yes, I have a job outside. Yes, I have this relationship. Yes, I have this responsibility outside the home. But my home life is my priority. My wife and my children exercising, as different people have commented, uh, the threefold office of Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. We've looked at it on other occasions. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet is one who represents God to man. A priest is representing God to man too, but also man to God with, with sacrifices and offerings and so forth. But also as a king, one who rules Oh, and cares for his subjects. A man in his household is as as that way, in a limited way, of course, but, but has that perspective, has that, that burden placed upon him. I am a prophet. I must speak God's word to my family. Yes, I'm a priest. I pray for my family. I, I draw them. I direct their hearts to God. And yes, I am a king. I, I serve. I lay down my life for, for my subjects, for my, for my family. Having such a noble perspective on family life really raises our estimation. It's not just how many, kil- how many kids can we have, how many children can we have. It's not just you know, who has the best car or the best van out in the parking lot. It is how, can, how are we raising and developing our own households? How are we caring for them? How are we honoring God? How is the gospel evident in our family dealings? Fathers, this is a specific word to us because of the, the nature of our of our issues. We, we get hard-headed, we get stubborn, we get uh, arrogant, we, get, we, we have all this strength and we're going to use it to crush people. No, we use our strength gently. Uh, we, we, we serve, we, we come down right to the level. We, we bend over even. I mean, literally kneel down onto the level of our children. We talk to them, we listen to them, we, we cuddle them, we, we share life with them. Fathers do this. Fathers do this. Now it's a tendency for mothers to do it. Mothers are you know, softies. and No, some aren't. You watch out for those mamas. But, but fathers and mothers have this responsibility to draw near to their children and, and develop them and shepherd them. Now, the children have a responsibility to be subject. Well, we already talked about the children. This is about fathers. Fathers, you be careful. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses this word exasperate, and he uses this word translated lose heart. These words are very, or, or very infrequently, I should say, used in Scripture. There are some derivative words uh, that are used. This is a verb form, and there's some noun forms and some adjectival forms. The point is, what is Paul even talking about here? Because it, it seems negative. He says, don't do this. Well, okay, so we should be careful not to do it. So what are you saying we shouldn't do then? Because this exasperate thing can be used in a positive sense. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, I think it is, that talks about the the provoking or the encouraging that the, uh, I'm forgetting my details now, the Macedonian, no, the Achaean, the Macedonian churches had about raising a gift. You remember the whole thing, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the gift that these different churches were, Gentile churches were raising so that Paul could take back to the church in Jerusalem to help them during the famine. 
they were being provoked. The churches in Achaia, Corinth, and, and Athens, and, and others were being uh, provoked in a positive way, not not negatively, but provoked by the, what the Macedonian churches were doing off to the north. And so this idea of provoking or exasperating can have a positive sense. Second uh, Corinthians 9 and verse 2, they were stirred up. Your zeal was stirred up or, or animated because of what they were doing. But it more often has a, as a bad sense, a negative connotation. That is to irritate or to embitter somebody. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 20 says, and this has a negative connotation. This talks about a son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. That word rebellious is the word uh, to be embittered or just irritated against their parents. And what does it say? He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. That's not where you want to be as a child. That's not how you want to be as a parent saying, that's my kid. And that's, that describes him. But somebody who is exasperated, somebody who is embittered in soul, somebody who is, has essentially given up. There's any hope, any possibility of, of a positive life here. There are some uses in the in some extra biblical writings talk about being provoked, being uh, uh, motivated to do something about something, um, and of course we see it here in this this uh, this verse. We can see a different form of this word that talks about uh, having a feeling of hostility or opposition. That somehow, based on what the father is doing, the children are the hackles are up, the defense is up. They're they're hostile. They're opposed to whatever it is. And that can just to be as easy as, hey, go brush your teeth. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Well, okay, we, we don't want to exasperate. By the way, children, don't listen to this. Don't listen to this sermon. I say, what? You shouldn't listen to this sermon? Because this is a word to your parents. Because oftentimes, as I mentioned with, with husbands and wives, he's not loving me, so I'm not going to be subject to him. No. You wives listen to your verse. Husbands listen to ver your verse. Children listen to your verse. This is for fathers. So when children say, well, you're exasperating me, you're provoking me to anger, Ephesians 6, 4, or 6, 1 through 3. No, or actually 6, 4 is what's the word to fathers. Don't, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You've got to do that, Dad, because you're, you're messing up. You're, you're failing right now. This is a word to fathers. You, child, be subject, be submissive to him, and you be in a state of humility before him, trusting him, drawing near to him. Don't say, well, you're giving me a command I don't want, and so I'm not going to do it. And I will drop my, we had a child, I won't mention a name, who whenever we gave a, a particular word of uh, a command that he, I should say, did not like, he would drop to the floor like face down. Now that worked so long as we had carpet. But when we were in Israel, that behavior stopped pretty quickly because there's no carpet over there. It's hard stuff. And so he did his thing. We gave him a command on him or what it was. And he dropped to the floor and, ow, he hurt his head. He has a little boo-boo on his head. And he, he stopped that. That was negative. Um, that was what you call natural consequences in his, in his mind. And so he stopped doing it. He had other ways to be defined. But the idea is we don't, we don't be rude or overbearing about the way that we approach things, approach our children. We are gentle, we're kind, and we'll look at more of these, these things. A lot of times this word exasperate has to do with a, a selfishness, a selfish ambition. We don't want to, as fathers, lead our children to be uh, wrapped up in themselves and, and, and to, to have a, a perspective on their lives that I have been wronged, what you're doing is not right before me, I don't like what you're saying, now, that, that happens just because we're, we're rebellious kind of people in general, but fathers have a, has a, has a, have a responsibility to bring our children up in this way. 
It's interesting. Maybe you read it, Ephesians 6, 4. I quoted it just a moment ago. That has at least a positive thing. As a negative, don't provoke your children to anger, has a positive instruction. There's no positive instruction here. Just, hey, don't you exasperate your kids. And he gives a reason. We'll look at the reason here in just a moment. But it's it's a mindset that we are being very careful in the way that we exercise our God-given authority as fathers. We don't do it in a way that is going to be offensive. I mean, it will be offensive. Again, again rebellion is, is, is strong with this one, right? And with any child, really. And yet the heart of, excuse me, the um, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. The rod and reproof give wisdom, the scripture teaches. And I see a lot of good books over there about parenting that talk about reproof and how we do it. That's not the point of this sermon. I had a sermon a year ago about this, you know, the more from Ephesians 6, uh, 4 that would comment on that. I'm trying to focus on this verse because I only have a few minutes left. Do not exasperate your children. This is a thing. Do not start exasperating your children. If you are exasperating your children, stop it. Look for ways in your life that you are uh, doing these things, provoking them into anger, provoking them to hostility, provoking them into bitterness or rage. It is interesting how this this word has at its heart a word that we saw back in verse 8 that talked about anger. Put away from you all malice and wrath and anger and clamor and and uh, uh, offensive, abusive speech. I forget how it says there in verse 8. But that word anger is is at the root of this word. And it basically says whatever that that idea is that anger, that, that passion, just in a positive sense, passion, energy to do something. It can be used negatively in anger and wrath and those ways. But just in terms of passion or motivation even, a desire to live, don't squelch it because this word it puts a little alpha in front of it. Um, I can't think of any other word. Typical, something that is typical or normal. Something is atypical, atypical, means it's not typical at all. It's the opposite of what is expected. Um, atom. Atom is another thing. T- uh, the word that goes into the T-O-M part of atom means you can cut it. They put the alpha in front of it, the A in front of it, and it means you can't split it. You can't cut it. Now we in our modern nuclear age can split the atom, but, but back in that day it couldn't. It couldn't be done. So something that is here, don't remove passion from them. Don't remove the motivation. Children have a, a natural inclination to be curious. Now that can get them into trouble. That can get, you know, dangerous, you know, putting their finger in a socket. That's a typical example. But other things, uh, being curious about what's in the stove and it's a boiling thing and they reach up and, ow, that's dangerous. Ooh, that's, that hurts me even thinking about. Curiosity is, is part of human, a part of childhood. And yet we can squelch it. And we say, don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And what are we doing? We're removing risk, removing the exploration, the natural curiosity that our children have the relationships that they're building. You know, as children learn to walk, for example, fathers can exasperate them. Say, hey, why can't you walk perfectly the first time? You're not nine, ten months old. How? Take a run. Go get my mail. Go do, get my some coffee. You don't expect an infant to do that. And yet fathers can be rude and overbearing in that way. Expect perfection. And that can continue for life even. Oh, you didn't get all A's. Or you got all A's, but how about A pluses? Or, oh, you're on the dean's list. Why not the president's list? Nothing is ever good enough for these fathers. That's not how we should be. Not exasperating our children, not removing any motivation from them. Oh, my father doesn't like it when I do this, so I guess I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to apply myself. I'm just going to live in my parents' basement, which I did for a while. Actually, uh, with a newborn. But this, yes, ask me another time. Fathers need to be careful to 
encourage their children to live, to live. He gives a reason, and I'm watching the clock very closely, so that they will not lose heart. But don't exasperate them. Teach them to engage in life. Teach them to handle their passions. Because, look, if you don't allow them a positive outlet for their passions, they will find a negative outlook, outlet for their passions. If you don't provide for them in a, in a, in a, a directive way, not an over, overbearing way, but if you don't direct to them to good company, guess what? Scripture says bad company corrupts good morals. Watch out who your friends hang around with. Don't let them associate with godless pagans. If you read in Proverbs, Proverbs 1, 2, 3, 4, and etc., talks about watch out for this person, watch out for that person, watch out for this thing over here. Listen to me, my son, and you'll find life. That's what we are about. We want our children to be not exasperated, not shut down emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally, spiritually. We want them to prosper and to live. We want them to uh, really, instead of being a, a, the opposite of, of passionate, there is a, a, a pro-passionate kind of an idea. And that is to say, uh, like in, this is used in First Chronicles, you think, First Chronicles, yes. It talks about the willing um, offerings, the willing sacrifices that people were, were bringing to the Lord and a, a craftsman who even brought, who said he would offer willingly. And that word, that, that pro-passion is used three times in that passage. Second Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 29 talks about a willingness. Or in 2 Chronicles 17, a, one who volunteered, somebody who was so animated with life that says, I want to serve in this way. I am, I am overflowing with life and hope and possibilities and curiosity and, and skill and interest. I want to live. That's what we want to inspire in our children. I remember talking with somebody, it's been a year ago now, a uh, parent, a father of young children, and he said, I forget his question even, but it had something to do with how do we, how do we encourage our children to take risks or to do things they're not familiar with or, or uh, to play with fire even? And I says, my, my answer was, let them. Let them play with fire. If you saw our household back in Texas, which we visited here, our backyard was full of dangerous things. We had a zip line that went across from one tree to the to the house or to the near to the house. You just hang on and hope you didn't fall off, which our neighbor girl did and sprained her wrist. But we had fires, we had holes, we had not just holes, we had pits so you could the whole thing could fall on you. We had uh, hammers and anvils. We had things that could hurt the children, but we, of course, in in moderation with, with supervision, all these things. But you let them explore. You let them investigate. Hey, I'd like to investigate this subject over here. And they, they kind of scratch it a little bit and say, I'm not interested in that anymore. Okay, let's find something else. Now, you have to be careful about that because it can kind of get kind of expensive really quickly. We're investing in this thing. Well, don't invest too much in it. Just give them a little bit of exposure. Internships are so important. Exposing people to, not just to their own age, but hey, let's go visit the firehouse or let's go visit the manufacturing plant, a Ford uh, Motor Company up in Detroit. Go visit that. See how trucks are made. Fascinating. Uh, but, but maybe you don't want to work in a factory. Fine. Go and expose them to that. Hey, I'd like to be a lawyer, but I don't like to read. Well, you shouldn't be a lawyer then. But you ought to learn that before you go to law school. I like medical stuff, but I don't like blood. Well, maybe now you don't want to be. So you, you need to give them that kind of exposure. Allow them to inquire. Allow them to be curious about these things. Because we want them to be eager about living. We want to have a very related word here is having courage, having a fortitude, having a, a willingness to live life for God's glory.
Of course, there are negative things that we could talk about here, but we want to focus on positive, uh, teaching them to, to live. Here it says that they should not lose heart, that they should not lose heart. We don't want them to be shut down. We don't want them to be um, withdrawn in themselves. You see children who are uh, well, the scripture says, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You see somebody who's who's just has no relationship with his parents, has no hope, no just in in despair, loneliness, uh, despondency, uh, resignation. My life's not going to change. I can't, you know, the little man can't get ahead. Which the answer to that is, don't be the little man. Get out there and do something. Uh, there's a radio economic guy that says uh, you are responsible for your good good future. Your you know you your wage your raise rather is effective when you are. Oh, your raise is effective. You better be effective. You want a raise? You be effective. You be the best worker that you can be in that situation. We want our children to be men and women of courage. We want them to grow. We don't expect as parents always to be the ones that our children come to for uh, for approval or for affirmation or for permission to do things. We want our children to live under God, before God themselves. They want, we want them to be mature. The danger of our modern age is that we expect too much of our young kids and not enough of our older children. We, we are pouring so much, we expect perfection. Hey, start walking. Why aren't you walking? Why, why can't you talk intelligible? I can't understand what you're saying. Can't you not spill the milk for once? Can't you put your dishes in the... All these expectations that the child is 10 months old, what are you expecting? But a child who's 20 should be able to do those things, should be able to be responsible, should be able to be a productive member of society. We want them to be uh, not losing heart, but to, to, again, be willingly engaging in life. Now, lest you think I've shortchanged you, I have... It's grown. I've, I've given you small things, right? I've given you little bookmarks and whatever else about uh, making the hard decisions easy. And that was what that is. But this one is how not to or on this side, it says how to exasperate your children and provoke them to anger. You can read all about that. I'll give you some examples in a moment. But this teaches you uh, the main categories of why or how rather we should not uh, exasperate our children. Just big, big, broad categories, and you can find these on the back table over there. How not, what not to do, or I guess here, what to do, what to do to help our children engage with life. Show affection to them. Show affectionate words, touches, and uh, attention so they feel loved and, and accepted and secure in love. Show regard for them. Honor them. Listen to them. Treat them as individuals, not as little burdens, uh, uh, little ankle biters, little, little people. No, they are gifts of God. They are God's gifts to you. Talk with them. It's interesting. You talk to little kids. They have, they have thoughts. They have desires. They have observations. Regard them as people. Love them. Love them unconditionally. Uh, that means without conditions. That means, well, you didn't love me. You didn't do this. I'm not going to love you today. Well, no, no, don't. You show love. You show, and you don't say, why can't you be like your big brother? Can you imagine Mother Mary, Mother of Jesus, saying to James and, and the other brothers, why can't you be like your big brother? Be like Jesus? Yeah, that's how we should be. We want to be like Jesus. Give them approval. Say good job. Say well done. Say, hey, that was smart. Or, that's clever. Or, or give them words that will build them up to recognize successes and growth and development. Give them liberty or freedom, uh, freedom to explore the, the, uh, their curiosity. Give them um, a space to explore their interests. Give them a path to earn trust for their choices. We want to discipline them, certainly. We want to rebuke them privately, not publicly. 
you, you're in the grocery stores a lot and you hear uh, fathers and mothers scolding their children and you know, threatening and repeating and I, you know, I'm not going to do this. If you, that's not what that's not helpful. Uh, discipline them with compassion consistently and only for a specific reason. It's not like the father who said to his son as he was about to give him spanks, I don't know what these spanks are for, but you do. Whoa, that's not how we do things. We should have a specific reason, a God-oriented reason. And then we gently help our children with these things. How about have reasonable standards, not fickle standards? Well, yesterday you said, I, this is today. Things are different today. Have a standard that, that is consistent and reasonable with them. Uh, predictable. We want our children to have a secure, predictable kind of experience. Make sure that you are exercising your roles as husband or wife properly, as father or as a son even. How do you relate to your parents? Make sure that you harmer, uh, harmer, foster harmony, health, and peace in your home. And finally, sincerity, that we would have our devotion to Christ uh, sincere or without hypocrisy. You know, one of the dangers is, and this was a study that was done in the last I don't know, 15 years or so. The danger is, well, the hope is, but there's also a danger. A lot of times children follow after the faith of their parents. And not just the faith, but the faith uh, practice or the implications. What does the practically look like to be a Christian? Children follow after the example of their parents. And that is both a positive and a negative. Now, it's not all, all, you know, there are exceptions, of course. Wait a minute, do I want my children following after my example of how I am devoted to Christ, my piety, my practice of, of uh, faith in? Do I want them to do what I say, but not what I do? You want to be careful with that. Your children are watching, and not just your children, their friends are watching. Oh, your dad is a hypocrite. I know what he does. You be careful about what you do, how you speak, how you relate to your, to your wife. Readily admit when you're wrong and humbly ask for forgiveness. Why is this so important? Why is it so important for us to, um, for children not to lose heart? This is the last thing that I'll focus on. Why is it so important? Because children must desire God. We want our children to desire God. We want them to draw near to him. It's important for children not to lose heart because we want them to love the Lord. The scripture says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 42 and verse 1. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We want our children not to disengage with life, but to engage it and live it for God's glory, to desire God, to accept discipline. Not that they would be exasperated and say, oh, here comes dad again. He's just going to beat me. He's going to tear me down. He's going to... A lot of children expect that. And I was just watching a documentary about a very famous Christian musician who had a pretty violent... Uh, growing up experience, both from his mother and his father, and had a long recovery from that and found a lot of paths that led him, led him to very negative things. But to accept the discipline, the discipline is offered in a good and godly fashion that is uh, piteous, which is to say compassionate, not revengeful. You know, I'm going to give you what for. No, it is something that we help them to accept the discipline of fathers because then that teaches them to accept the discipline of the father of how does it say? Father of spirits, I think, in Hebrews 12. Yes, Father. we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Hebrews chapter 12. We want our children to grow into maturity. So we don't want to exasperate them. We don't want them to lose heart. We don't want them to be uh, dispassionate or, or unwilling individuals. We want them to grow. We want them to not be childish forever. We want them to be adults. 
uh, and, and maturity and wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Even Jesus did that. We want our children to be courageous, to be uh, those who stand strong in the face of adversity. Uh, the Proverbs says, um, if you faint in the day of adversity, how little is your strength? Wait a minute. Oh, you're having a little bit of difficulty. So you're going to stop? You're going you're gonna to quit because it's a little hard right now? Hard is hard. It's not wicked. Being some, having something that is difficult does not mean that you should just withdraw. We're, we're seeing the Olympics. I don't know if you watched the Olympics at all. These athletes persevered through all kinds of hardship and difficulties and setbacks, but they persevered. They, they fought through these things. They stood strong. For an athletic thing, you realize how many times the Apostle Paul uses athletic imagery in Scripture? It's because, wow, we can identify with that. We want our children to stand strong. And lastly, we want our children to fear God, not to fear man, not to realize, oh, my father was a hateful kind of guy, so I fear God. You know, God is like that. God is different than your father. You had a father who was mean and nasty, unbelieving. That's your father. It's not God. He was not reflecting God in, in what he, how he did, how he, how he um, dealt with you. We should rather fear him. Psalm, 100, Psalm 118 verse 6 says, Yahweh is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, my fathers were against me. I, I tried to live a way that is pleasing to him, to them, but didn't ever, I could never make them happy. I could never appease them. I could never do what was right. You draw near to God. You find your identity in him. You find that he is the one that you should be uh, um, not afraid of, not trembling in front of, but I mean, there's a part of that, but who, one who we want to honor, we want to love, we want to cling to, we want to worship and, and obey and do all these things. This is very important stuff. This is, this is uh, where rubber meets the road kind of, kind of issues, that we should be very careful as fathers, both, well, as young men, and even young, like, still in the home, you know, um, young men, boys, to desire, hey, I want to be a godly husband. I want to do what the scripture says about, you know, that thing about loving your wife. I want to do that for one woman. And that somehow, if the Lord gives us wonderful gifts of children, I want to be a godly father who, who doesn't exasperate them, who uses a strength to serve them and, and advance them and help them engage in life. I want them to draw near to the Lord. I want to be useful in that regard. Do you desire that as, as men? Are you desiring that? Are you practicing these things? Again, we realize that we are just messes waiting to happen, and a lot of times the messes has already happened. But we look to Christ, who is a great redeemer. We look to him who is able to raise up out of the ash heap sometimes. That was a dysfunctional family. As if there's ever been a functional family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, good grief, the first murder, the first happened right, right out of the gate, and it's gotten worse since then. Can we look to the Lord? Can we ask God to forgiveness for forgiveness? Can we ask God to help me to love my wife, love and, and nourish children and all these things? We do it for Christ's sake. And there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation and there is hope in all these things. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you are for us. You are so concerned about our marriages, our, our family life. You've spoken to us in these things. Please help us to be those godly wives and and husbands and children and parents, especially fathers, uh, so much uh, rides upon the performance of the father in the home. Please save and sanctify. Please give hope where there seems to be no hope, especially for some older uh, children 
who are just remembering back and even now enduring the, the issues of unbelieving or maybe Christian in name and then by profession, but boy, the way that they interact with me is just hard. And it it's, it's exasperates me. And please, Lord, help me to love. Please help me to show honor as you intend and that you'd be the agent of reconciliation and of life change. You are good. You are the one who is faithful. You are the one who, who brings all these things for your glory, for our good. Please help our young men, especially as they are grow into maturity, that they would desire to fulfill these uh, wonderful, God-given uh, relationships of, of husband and father, and that they would exercise these things very well to grow even now in, in the, the skills and, and the character that is needful in, the, in these, the next season of life. We thank you for each one who's here. Again, we pray that you'd save and sanctify for your honor and glory. We pray in his name. Amen.